The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Investors saying so long to summer. So will the red-hot returns continue, or will the fall cool off this market's record run? One major Wall Street firm scaling back its forecast for the American economy this year, warning of a harder path ahead. Lawmakers in D.C. gearing up for what can only be described as stress timber as Democrats race to get the president's economic agenda improved. Oh, and by the way, keep the government running. China's president and his top economic advisor working to reassure the private sector as Beijing's crackdown on capitalism continues. And Marvel notching another win in its box office belt as its newest superhero smashes records with his big screen debut. It's all happening on this Tuesday, September 7th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. It is great to be back with you. Thanks for joining us here as we kick off, well, the trading, September at least. Let's get a check down your Tuesday money and see if this record-breaking rally will roll on. And... It looks like it might, but not by much. Futures, they are in the green. I mean, just a touch, kind of bouncing back and forth as well. Dow futures up less than one point. Of course, the markets, they have been on fire lately. And here is some potential good news that I really could be an RBI, by the way. We have one coming up later on in the show. While September has the ill-fated reputation of being the worst month for stocks on average, don't believe all the negative hype. When the S&P 500 rises aggressively in the months leading up to September, as we have seen this year, September tends to actually be a good month for stocks with an average gain of about 1.5%. A random but interesting stat from Fundstrat. Let's take a look also at Treasuries on the heels that weaker than expected jobs number last week and what could all mean for the Fed's taper talk. Yields not moving at all. They're at 1.36%. Also get a check on oil prices this Tuesday morning. Production is still down from its peak in the Gulf of Mexico. A lot of rigs in the Gulf, they are still offline due to the hurricane. Oh, and officials also trying to find the source of what appears to be a pipeline leak that's caused an oil slick off the coast of Louisiana. Right now, we are seeing WTI crude down, not a lot, about a half a percent, just under $69 per barrel. All right, let's go worldwide now and take a look at Asia. Mostly positive session there. The Shanghai Composite, the big winner. After some good trade data out of China, the Nikkei not far behind. And in the European market, though, a very different story. Red across the board, but not by a whole lot. The major average is down a few tenths of a percent in the major European markets. All right, more in the markets and your money ahead. But right now, let us hit some top stories on this Tuesday, including more in the millions of Americans who will see those expanded unemployment benefits end As of yesterday, Contessa Brewer is here now this morning with more on that and more. Contessa, good morning. 
Good morning, Brian. Yeah, those benefits, which helped Americans amid the pandemic, officially expired yesterday. And that means an estimated 9 million people will lose the aid entirely. Another 3 million or so will see their weekly checks reduced by $300. The Biden administration did not fight to extend those added benefits because there is a growing view within the White House that the economy is improving. That's despite Friday's big jobs report miss. The president is also turning his attention to securing wins on his broader economic agenda, working through Congress. Two of China's top leaders are looking to reassure that country's private sector amid continued crackdowns. President Xi Jinping and Vice Premier Liu He sent strong messages of support, saying, look, the stricter rules enforcement does not diminish private companies' role in China's economic development. Still, you've got big tech and other sectors really feeling the squeeze with added restrictions over recent months. Boeing's standoff with one of its biggest customers is coming to an end. Ireland's Ryanair says it's broken off talks over the purchase of 737 MAX 10 jets worth tens of billions of dollars. The two sides just couldn't come to an agreement on price. Well, despite that blow, Boeing recently won a series of orders from United Airlines, including 150 of those MAX 10 jets, Brian. You can see now how those stocks are reacting in extended trading. Yeah, not down too much. Boeing off about three-tenths of one percent. Contessa, we will see you back in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, now let's kick off your market week with stocks at record highs, even as some economic data has come in weaker than expected lately. And, of course, September, a notoriously volatile month. Lee Baker is the president of Apex Financial. We welcome him back to Worldwide Exchange. Lee, hope you had a good long weekend. But now it's time to get back to the market business here. Uh, I guess things get real in the fall, as they say. What are you expecting from the markets that are currently standing at record highs? Where do we go from here? I think for here, for the rest of the year, I would say expect some volatility. Uh, Really disappointing jobs number. Um, And we've also got the issues contested talk about the fact that these unemployment benefits are going to go away. Uh, I think what that's going to ultimately do, because with most of those benefits, you got to think they're going right back into the economy. So I expect we'll see a little bit of a damper on spending here in the near term as those benefits go away. Uh, But continued growth in the economy, just a, a bit slower. Yeah, and of course, we are worried about some of these Wall Street firms ratcheting back their GDP forecasts as well. A lot of concern about COVID. I won't call it the Delta variant because it is 100% of cases, so it just is COVID basically at this point, Lee. There's a lot of concern about rising hospitalizations as well heading into the Northeast in the fall. How much do investors, while I guess all of us are amateur epidemiologists at this point, how much do we need to be watching that? I think we've got to watch it. Not quite as much as we watched it. Last year, uh, when I think back to last year, uh, honestly, at some points, it seemed as though I was paying much more attention to the the Delta variant, not the Delta variant, but the COVID numbers than the traditional economic numbers. Uh, We still have to pay attention to it because as a result of what's going on with uh, particularly the Delta variant now, we've seen some hiccups in what had been a steady progression uh, to certain segments getting better. So if we take a look at things like the cruise industry and some of the airlines, they have been marching steadily forward until the Delta variant popped uh, at the beginning of July, and then we saw a sharp decline. Uh, You know, I don't think we're going to go back to any sort of widespread shutdowns, but there could be some local issues. And, you know, candidly, we've got what is the normal cold and flu season right around the corner. Uh, 
what's that going to mean for COVID? I suspect things will yeah. be a little choppy in that time as well. I, I, I know a lot of people who have really bad colds right now, Lee. All of them have gotten tested. All of them have tested negative. You got RSV running around as well. The flu is back. A lot of people are sick. They run off to get tests. Thankfully, they come back negative. But you're exactly right on that point as well. From a market perspective, you've got Congress. We'll talk more about that in a bit. You've got the Fed, of course. You've got all the COVID concerns that have been here now for about a year and a half. Is there anything else that we need to have on our radar? I mean, or will the money flows that keep flowing in just kind of overpower everything? That's what's been happening. Yeah, for now, I, I expect that to continue. Again, a little bit of additional volatility coming out of Jackson Hole. Uh, what I got out of Jackson Hole was that the Fed's going to continue to be accommodative. Uh, the money's going to continue to flow. Candidly, yeah. this disappointing jobs number uh, just extends the amount of time it's going to take for us to get to maximum employment. So I think for the near term, and by that I mean the next three to six months, yeah. I think the money's going to continue to flow. A quick question to wrap it up here, Lee. Does it matter to the markets or your clients or the if we taper in November or December or January? Does, does that matter another 30 or 60 days? Maybe it does. And candidly, no. You know, uh, for my clients, we're talking yeah, about investing, and this is for retirement, mostly for the long term. So whether or not the taper begins in October or November or, or sometime out in 2023 for most of my clients really doesn't matter a whole lot. Yeah, 20 years from now, somebody's not going to be sitting on a yacht going, well, if the Fed only tapered in November rather than December, everything would have been fine. I'd be rich. Lee Baker, Apex Financial. Lee, have a great day and a good start to your week. You do the same, man. We'll see you again soon. Take care. All right, take care. All right, so much still to do on this Tuesday. I mean, we're just getting started. And when we come back, crushing the competition once again as its latest movie comes in hot. But up next, why Shang-Chi may have a problem in Beijing. Plus... More in the aftermath of Ida, the nearly half a million people still without power in Louisiana nearly a week later. Later on, NVIDIA facing a new fight with regulators over a proposed $54 billion deal. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Uh, welcome back. And Americans went back to the movies in a big way this weekend. Marvel's latest superhero movie, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, breaking domestic box office records, becoming the highest grossing film over the Labor Day weekend, pulling in 90 million bucks. And the movie, which features Marvel's first Asian superhero, faces steep challenges in getting approved for theaters in China. 
Eunice Yoon joining us now from Beijing with more. Eunice, what seems to be the issue with the movie or Disney? Well, Brian, you know, it, I think the movie based on the trailer looks really interesting, but I'm not exactly sure whether or not I'm going to be able to watch it here. Um, a lot of that is because uh, there are several issues that the company, um, the, the whole Marvel Universe actually faces, but particularly Shang-Chi. And that's because of a couple of reasons. So Shang-Chi, uh, first of all, um, the source material is seen as racist. Uh, a lot of this is because the comic, as well as the movie, is based on a character that is seen as a stereotype type of a Chinese evil mastermind, a Fu Manchu. And so that's seen here as a bit of a problem, especially at a time when Beijing has become just very, very sensitive about its national image. Beijing, as you know, censors the film industry anyway, uh, but it's also become very sensitive these days, especially with the idea, perhaps, of a Chinese villain. Now, uh, the other um, uh, timing that uh, people are watching here is that Beijing is also cracking down on the entertainment industry in film as well as celebrities. And just in the past several days, uh, Weibo, the social media platform, suspended 21 online accounts uh, for fan clubs, uh, fan clubs of K-pop, especially BTS. Uh, the state media here has been blaming some of the Korean culture and Japanese culture for looking too effeminate. And uh, um, in their view, from Beijing's perspective, um, that's a big negative uh, for the way that they want their Chinese young people to behave. And then finally, Brian, a Hong Kong actor uh, just renounced his Canadian citizenship um, on state TV, and this was seen as a way to try to fend off some of the um, controversy that's coming up around celebrities having dual citizenship. So, a lot to unpack there, Eunice. So, on one hand, they are criticizing the movie, but on the other hand, they're, they're going, and I know there's a lot of things you can't talk about. On the other hand, they're going after Korean and Japanese music or online fan clubs because they're worried about the influence mm -hmm. that may have on Chinese youth. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah. And so there's also a concern that this could, um, you know, spill over into other a foreign fandom and celebrities. Uh, so it's not only because of, of the Chinese, I mean, for the Koreans and the Japanese, but it's something that people are watching. Also, uh, for Marvel in particular, uh, one of their next series is, uh, movies is Eternals. And the director is Chloe Zhao, who, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Chloe Zhao, she was completely scrubbed from the internet and just in the, over here in China, and just in the past week, uh, her name has been taken down from credits for other uh, films and, you know, and basically any mention of her at all. And so that's seen as a, a potentially another major problem for Marvel and for Disney once it wants to air or screen uh, Eternals here in China. They completely scrubbed her. I mean, the ultimate cancellation, just literally wiping her out of movie credits, wiping her off. the. They can do that, right? Just wipe somebody off the Internet, like your name. You, you, mm -hmm. you search for it on the web. I won't say Google because that's not used there, but you search for it on the web and it's just not there. Gone. Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> Can you imagine if the American government had some kind of campaign to tell kids, don't listen to Canadian rock because it's making you soft. I, it just, it just, it's actually mind-blowing. And by the way, Canadian rock is some of the best rock. Eunice Yoon, thank you very much. Very serious topic going on. A lot, of, lot going on in China.
the last few weeks and months, folks. All right, Eunice, thank you very much. All right, still on deck. Will Democrats have a September to remember for all the wrong reasons? Jimmy P is here. What to expect from Congress as the fight begins over trillions in new social spending and some new tax hikes. Today's big number, 87%. That's the share of S&P 500 companies that have reported a positive surprise for the second quarter, according to FactSet. If that holds, it would be the most beats since FactSet began tracking in 2008. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning. There is a live look at Capitol Hill. We are still waiting for the sun to come up. It's only 520 in the morning, by the way. But now the holiday is over and Congress set to begin a multi-trillion dollar fight. Lawmakers to-do list already plenty long including a deal to raise the debt ceiling and, oh yeah, keep the government running. And of course, trying to pass two different bills, totaling more than $4 trillion in new spending. So what's going to happen? Let's bring in Jimmy Pethokoukas, American Enterprise Institute economic policy analyst and CNBC contributor. Just a, just a small matter there. Raise the ceiling, keep the government going, and pass two different bills, totaling over about, what, $4.5 trillion in new spending. incredible. First off, do you think we will get the debt ceiling passed and keep the government running, or will there be yet another shutdown ahead? Uh, It wouldn't surprise me at all if there's a shutdown. And of course, the more important issue more than the shutdown is the debt ceiling issue. Uh, This could be like the diciest situation for the debt ceiling since 2011, when we ended up getting an S&P downgrade. Um, you mentioned that $4 trillion. Uh, Republicans at some point have to make it clear they are against this really pretty big increase in the size of government over the past 20 years. And uh, they haven't been able to stop, they're not going to be able to stop this big reconciliation bill in the end. They acquiesced to a pretty big infrastructure bill, at least enough, enough Republicans did. So the debt ceiling is where they might put their, they might uh, draw a line in the sand. And again, it could be a, uh, at the very least, a lot of headline risk. And, and craziness from Washington over the next couple of months. Yeah, and I'm old enough to remember me sitting on set in prime time on CNBC, walking through these debt ceiling fights in, what, 2011, I think 2014, where things happened that we did not think were going to happen because the Republicans know they might be very close to swing in the House, if not the Senate, in 2022. Politically, both sides have a lot to lose. Uh, that's a really great point. Uh, very, uh, we have a tied Senate, a really, really close House, and uh, if if Democrats should keep that ho- should keep the House and keep the Senate or add to the Senate, uh, listen, there's a lot more spending they would like to do that they're not getting to uh, in this first term, and Republicans know that as well. So there's really, you know, a lot is riding on the next few months, both 
so Democrats can show their voters that they're getting stuff done and Republicans can show their voters that they can stop Democrats from getting stuff done. Nancy Pelosi has all the cards right now. I mean, she holds the cards to getting that, you know, the the bipartisan one and a half trillion dollar infrastructure bill passed, Senate passed it. That is more traditional infrastructure, roads, bridges, energy grids, things like that. Then you've got the three and a half trillion, which is more on the social side of things, right? They're calling it human infrastructure or whatever term that they're using. Joe Manchin has said three and a half trillion, no way, right? And you and I about the same age, Jimmy, we probably used to ask our parents for 20 bucks because we knew we were only going to get 10. Where does Manchin stand on this? He and maybe Kristen Cinema of Arizona seem to be kind of the key to everything. Uh, they really are. Listen, Manchin hasn't stopped anything. And, uh, he's, you know, he's got a lot of criticism, especially from progressive Democrats, which, you know, he kind of loves. He's from West Virginia. You're not going to not going to hurt him by having progressive Democrats criticize him. But in the end, he is going to vote for a big bill. I think the only question is, is it going to be uh, three, three and a half trillion? No, I don't think it is. It might be one and a half or two trillion. Will it be? Uh, mostly paid for or entirely paid for, that's possible, which is why we'll get the tax hikes. So I think if you're an investor, you can assume more spending uh, that's par- that will be partially yeah. paid for through some sort of tax hikes, corporate taxes. Yeah, That's going to happen. So I think that is what you kind of feel sure about. What you can feel sure about how the how the debt ceiling fight is going to play out. Just quickly, one year from today, we we regroup and do this, Jimmy. Do we have A, higher individual income taxes, B, higher investment taxes, capital gains, C, higher corporate taxes, D, all the above? Uh, D, all the above is my prediction. Uh, I think that's the direction. I think the debate is the degree, but directionally, you're absolutely right. All the above. And, you, and the markets don't seem to care, at least right now, or maybe they don't believe it. Jimmy Petakukas, they should listen to you, AEI. Appreciate it, Jimmy. Have a good week. Thank you. Uh, you too. Thanks. All right. Well, that is not all that is going on on this busy Tuesday. Here now with more on the latest on the aftermath and recovery from Ida, as well as the loss of a TV and movie legend, maybe the best TV movie character of all time. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York now with that and more. Philip. Hey, Brian. Uh, Good morning. Uh, We'll start with President Biden, who will be traveling to Storm Ravage, New Jersey today, where he will survey the extensive damage left behind by Ida. Mr. Biden will also visit Queens, New York. And for many in the Northeast, this Labor Day weekend included more cleanup. While down in Louisiana, Entergy reports over 500,000 customers have had their power restored. They still have about a few hundred thousand that are still being worked on. As you mentioned this morning, the world is mourning the loss of prolific actor Michael K. Williams. He starred as the incomparable stick-up man Omar Little on The Wire, as well as Chalky White on HBO's Boardwalk Empire. The five-time Emmy nominee was found dead in his Brooklyn apartment on Monday afternoon. The city's medical examiner is investigating the cause of death. Michael K. Williams was just 54 years old. Finally, a new data indicates that the average watch time per user on the app TikTok has officially surpassed the watch time of YouTube users. This stands true in both the U.S. and the U.K. However, YouTube still holds the top spot for overall time spent watching. Makes sense considering it has more overall users than TikTok. YouTube has an estimated 2 billion monthly users, while TikTok's numbers from mid-2020 was about 700 million. Brian, back to you. 
Some big numbers there, and certainly a lot of people are going to be watching all the amazing work that Michael K. Williams did. I mean, one of the you know you watch The Wire, probably the best TV show of all time, and you just you think about iconic lines like, you know, he's up with with Brother Muzon in that alley, and he's like, you know, he said you might miss, and he said at this range with this caliber, even if I miss, I can't miss. Michael K. Williams will be missed. Transcend, transcendent show and iconic performer. You're right, Brian. Yeah, certainly right. Uh, all right, Philip Mena in New York down with more. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with more on Worldwide Exchange right after this. The dog days of summer may be over, but will Congress and new COVID concerns take a bite out of the economy and the markets? The crypto comeback continues. Bitcoin and Ethereum staying hot. But does that make it okay to pay millions of dollars for digital pictures of bored apes? And your morning RBI takes on college football. Some of the eye-opening scenes over the weekend. Millions pack the stands across America. It is Tuesday, September 7th. Football is back. And so is Worldwide Exchange. Well, football is back and, and I am back. Hi, I'm Brian Sullivan. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange, the 5 a.m. show on CNBC. Let's get a check down on your Tuesday money to kick off our trading week. Hope you had a great long weekend as well. See if this record-breaking rally will roll on, and eh, honestly, I don't know. Right now, it's no way to know. Futures are down like a couple of bucks. They were up a couple of bucks earlier. The implied fair value on the NASDAQ is, is in the green. Roll the dice on that one, folks. Either way, the markets have been on fire lately. Listen, it's a holiday-shortened week. Remember, a lot of Wall Street is still off. you got Rosh Hashanah as well today, so it's going to be maybe a lower volume Maybe higher volatility week in some ways, but I wouldn't expect any massive moves unless we get some huge exogenous event. There is some potential good news out there because you know the stats. September historically the worst month of the year on average for stocks going back to 1929. Generally, it posts a small loss. But that might not be the case this year because Fundstrat shows that when the S&P 500 rises aggressively, more than 10%, In the months leading up to September, as we have done this year, September actually tends to be a good month with an average gain of about 1.5%. So historically, not so great, but historically when we have this kind of gain, pretty great. Your guess. All right, we're going to get back to the markets and your money with Jeff Kilberg in a moment, but right now, some of your other top stories, Contessa Brewer is back now with those. Contessa. Brian, good Tuesday. Goldman Sachs cutting its growth forecast for the U.S. this year. A new note from the bank sees overall expansion at 5.7 percent. That's down from its 6 percent forecast last month. It points to a harder path ahead for the American consumer than previously anticipated, with spending likely to drop due to COVID and scaled back fiscal support. The note adds that weaker growth will be followed by an increased pickup next year. NVIDIA is reportedly facing fresh opposition from overseas regulators over its $54 billion bid to buy the U.K.'s arm. According to the Financial Times, officials in the EU's competition unit feel concessions by the U.S. chipmaker don't go far enough to mitigate potential damage to rivals. The FT says the concerns come as NVIDIA prepares to file for regulatory clearance for that deal in Brussels this week, potentially as soon as today. And the NFL and football fans are gearing up for the new season's kickoff this week. 
Hey, look, we got an early look at a new survey from the American Gaming Association, and it shows a big uptick in the number of people planning to bet this season, up 36% from last year. The AGA says of the 101 million people who now legally can place a bet in their home states, a little more than 45 million plan to. In large part, it's because more states have allowed legal gambling. I'll have more on the betting season to come later this morning on Squawk Box. But there's a lot of excitement and maybe a lot of people checking out to see whether those apps are up and running on their phones. Brian. You know, I've never asked you, Contessa. Who's your, do you have an NFL team? Like, are you Buffalo Bills? Because you're kind of up, are you a Packers fan? Because your time, I've never asked you. Like, this is like yes. an important question in our yeah, friendship. Yeah, once you, yeah, this is a, this is really big. I'm, and I'm glad to announce it here this on Worldwide Exchange. I am a huge supporter of the Green Bay Packers because once you live in Wisconsin, you get inducted to the I knew I liked and you. never leave. I knew that this is why we get this is why we get along. This yeah. is why we get along. That's why I like it's it. Football, mm-hmm. and, and many other because <laughs> you're awesome. Also, many other reasons as well. I, I myself am a a woebegone San Diego slash Los Angeles slash Oklahoma City slash San Antonio Charger fan. Wherever they end up, the team's not very good or hasn't been, but the uniforms are the best in football. Contessa, thank you. <laughs> Have a good morning. You too, Contessa. All right, let's turn back now to the markets and bring in our friend, Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth, former player on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team, which squeaked out a win after Florida State's furious comeback as well, and probably a Bears fan. Uh, Jeff, welcome back in. Uh, You heard my uh, stat from Funstrat that showed that basically uh, we've got, you know, September stinks usually... Unless we're up big coming into September, then it's a good month. Does stuff like that matter? It, it does matter. So like, this is 2021, very different year. So I actually have expectations for a super September. And that's really in the wake of the fact that we are seeing the jobs wow. number last Friday really disappoint. And the fact of the matter, we missed by 500,000 jobs. That really allows the Federal Reserve to press pause. We were all expecting Fed Chairman Powell to talk about taper this month in September, not happening anymore. And that is going to be the paramount focus, not only just in this light calendar week, but for the whole month of September until we bridge over to the next earnings season, October. So super September. Here we are, Sully. Wow. Now, I asked us earlier, uh, our first guest of the program, a very simple question. I said, does it matter long to long? I'm talking about long term, Jeff. Whether the Fed tapers in November, December, or January, he said no, because he's looking long-term. What do you think, both long and short-term? Longer term, absolutely not. The fact of the matter, if they reduce their emergency purchase of $120 billion per month down to $100 billion, but I think the context that we continue to look for is this uncertainty. And everyone was really second-guessing Fed Chairman Paul, but when you see a number like we saw last Friday, that type of disappointment or that type of uncertainty certainly is being amplified. So they have plenty of cover to be more prudent. And the one thing that we really have focused on is jobs. Obviously, the dual mandate that the Federal Reserve has is focused on inflation, but they change and move the goalposts on inflation. So back to the jobs, they have to be certain on this. So that's why I think this accommodative, ultra accommodative stance from Fed Chairman Powell continues and the taper doesn't really taper down or reduce those payments till January of 2022. 
Okay, and I know you and I talk, we text. Also, I, I have notes and I read the notes. And you are rolling back on some oil exposure, Chevron, ConocoPhillips. Why, why are you dumping on the oil stocks? Well, I think it's a big uh, opportunity to rebalance. You're going into September. It's been a phenomenal year thus far. But right now, you are seeing some weakness from a relative strength perspective. So to be tactical, going into this month, we are reducing some oil exposure. It's been great to hop on the oil exposure, but now it's time to turn it down. We've added the semiconductors. So when you talked about NVIDIA earlier, that's a name that we like. We certainly look at Intel, AMD, some of these different names that may have more opportunity going into September. So it is important to understand what sectors you have exposure to, Sully, but more important, what sectors not to have exposed you, and that's how we're positioned for the month of September. What, are the, what, what What's so attractive about the semiconductors right now? They're revealing a lot of relative strength, so we really want to look for momentum. When you're trying to dance between the raindrops, obviously we've seen the S&P 500 up 20% year-to-date. We continue to seek and hunt alpha, and that's where relative strength can be an overarching theme. It's a technical approach, Sully. This is not a fundamental approach. This is a technical approach that we see strength on the charts. Okay, if you made some money in oil stocks, maybe sell those, buy some of the semiconductors as well. Jeff, before we let you go, we want to get you in on this morning's RBI because about something that you care about and played very deeply. Yeah, let's talk about college football. And here's your RBI, the return of fans to the stands. A lot of fans. My Virginia Tech Hokies kicked off the weekend with a huge win over UNC, at least huge for us. Rocking enter Sandman from the start with 65,600 screaming fans rocking Lane Stadium. Saturday was even bigger, with nearly every major stadium from Florida to California sold out. But the biggest game of all, literally, was the game at the University of Michigan, which announced an incredible attendance of more than 109,000 people at the Big House. And Jeff, your alma mater, Notre Dame, which you played for, squeaked out a win against Florida State Sunday night. And another packed house. And all millions of fans came back to colleges this weekend after a mostly two-year layoff. We've got to wait until the NFL kicks off this weekend. I know your nephew actually played in that Michigan-Western Michigan game. Your take. I know a lot of people are screaming about it. They're up in arms. But most of these schools have a vaccine mandate. What's your, what's your take on the return of college football? Well, first and foremost, there's enthusiasm. You can really have an approach to what we're looking at, but I'm going to resolve it and let Dr. Fauci, Dr. Gottlieb really opine on that. But from a college football perspective, it's great for America. It's tangible. It is a slice of Americana. So, of course, college football is near and dear to my heart, Sully. I do get excited, but I hope we are returning in a prudent and safe manner, which I think we are. So this is just a great move forward because we've really lacked normalcy for quite some time. So even the college kids that are not playing football, just the students that are attending, this is normalcy. These type of weekends bring them together in a cohesive manner. So I'm all in favor of this. I hope we're doing it in a safe and prudent way. But nonetheless, welcome back, college football. Super September. Here we are. Yeah, and we've seen outdoor music festivals, which haven't generated a lot of spread or shutdown as well. You got mostly vaccinated people outside. Let's hope that this is still the case as well. But for even one weekend, Jeff, and let's hope it continued, wasn't it marvelous? I mean, like watching, you know, Inter Sandman for my Hokies on Friday night. I mean, it's, it, it is Americana. Jeff Kilberg, you're Americana. Jeff, thank you. Thank you, Sally. All right. Coming up, amid all the pretty scary headlines out there, we actually have some good news. That's right, good news to bring you in the fight against COVID. Here's a hint. It's all about vaccination rates. We are back after this short break. 
All right. Welcome or welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. There are certainly a lot of scary headlines about new COVID outbreaks in parts of America right now. But there is some optimistic news to report this morning. Vaccination rates across America are surging once again. In fact, the vax rate has now nearly doubled from the July lows. According to the CDC, 75% of those over 18 have now gotten at least one dose. 73% of the population 12 years and older have been jabbed at least once. We now some days have more than a million vaccinations per day when we were down to list 500,000 on our lows of July. So on a daily average, we have nearly doubled. And even though you no doubt hear a lot about so-called breakthrough cases and the CDC, for some weird reason, doesn't publish national data on vaccination status and COVID hospitalizations, leaving everybody to guess, some states now do. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that I'm running through the data. Michigan's numbers show that while COVID hospitalizations are up overall, yes, their hospitalization rate among those that are vaccinated is 0.005%. We hear a lot about breakthrough cases, but I want to hit those numbers from Michigan. And it's early. It's one month of data, 0.005%. Something to watch, but right now, the vaccines do appear to be doing their jobs. We'll see if that continues. All right. Turning now to the world of crypto, as El Salvador has become the first country to make Bitcoin a legal currency as of today. Comes as Bitcoin and Ether are nearing their all-time previous highs as well. Seem to have a lot of momentum. Let's find out if that'll continue and bring in Noel Atchison, head of Market Insight at Genesis. Noel, I mean, first off, what changed? I, they were hot, then they were ice cold, then they fired back up again. What is behind this, this six-week or whatever resurgence in so many of the cryptos? Well, good morning, Brian. And I'd like to say um, in terms of that going hot and going cold and going hot, welcome welcome to our world. I do also have to say that everything I say <laughs> is my opinion, not that of my employers and nothing I say is investment advice. And, and a reminder that it's never a dull day in crypto. Uh, you mentioned El Salvador. That certainly is a very interesting development, not one that we expect to see to have a big impact in the markets themselves. They did announce a very significant purchase of Bitcoin over the weekend, almost just over $20 million. But that's a drop in the ocean in a market that trades billions of dollars daily. What we're The main significance of the El Salvador development is that we are seeing a government offer its citizens choice. And that's what crypto is all about, Brian. It's about choice. For the first time in our history, we can offer people, crypto can offer people a choice in the monetary instrument that they use. But moving on to that, into the all-time highs that you hinted at, we have seen, we do have Bitcoin above 50,000 and Ethereum briefly peaked above 4,000. Both of them are important psychological levels. We're seeing some weakness today, but the momentum and the data hint that the previous highs could easily be breached in this cycle. What specifically are we seeing that might indicate that, Noel? Looking at Bitcoin to start with, for instance, compared to where we were at this point in the last run-up, we're seeing accumulation metrics are much stronger. And meanwhile, activity metrics are ticking up, but they're significantly lower than where we were last time at this point in the cycle, which hints that the Bitcoin market has some way to run yet. And technological progress seems to be a large part of what's driving the Ethereum momentum. August's network upgrade introduced the burning of ETH tokens through fees. And just a couple of days ago, Brian, we saw the first 
day with negative net issuance. So you have increasing demand, declining supply, okay, maybe just for one day, but certainly a declining increase in supply over time. And that is creating some significant momentum. And even keeping with the technology theme, last week, we saw the launch of a significant scaling solution for Ethereum, what we call the layer twos, which are based on Ethereum and offer a meaningful impact improvement in the user experience of decentralized financial applications. We'll see more of that coming up this year. And that is going to mm -hmm. drive even more adoption to the applications that Ethereum is offering. Okay. So, so bullish look now, a lot of momentum behind some of these, but I need your help, Noel, because I'm not going to pretend, you know, TV anchors, we like to think we know everything, right? <laughs> I do, don't Ryan. understand the <laughs> NFT boom. I, I, I get, I understand the basics of what a non-fungible token is. I don't understand why people are paying $10, $20 million for ostensibly digital pictures of fat penguins and bored apes. What exactly is happening here? It what am I missing? Such an, it is such an exciting development, Brian. And, and you, I, don't, I wouldn't say you're missing anything. So we're starting to see the potential of this industry. It does require a, a change in mindset. Let's cast back. We know that art collecting has been with us for centuries. We know that collectibles have been part of our culture for decades. I don't know if you collected baseball cards when you were younger. Uh, my kids collected Pokemon for many years. And what we are doing is simply porting that human instinct to the digital world. We live increasingly in the digital world. Certainly the younger generation do. A large, I mean, this is a trend that started even before the pandemic. The pandemic certainly consolidated our digital lives as part of our society. That's not going to go away even with a reopening. And we are now able to carry on our collecting activity, which is part of the way we express ourselves, yeah. part of the way we connect with others, into the digital world. But here's the, here's the interesting thing. What we are doing by porting our collectibles, to call them that, to the digital world is that we are abstracting them from physical risk. They're no longer, will, your, um, will they be destroyed fire or flood, or will they be stolen from you, or will they decay just simply through holding them a lot, playing with those cards? But so, we are protecting got them it. I'm thinking Ready Player One. I'm going to be walking through the metaverse in a 3D virtual new world and looking at like a museum with digital art as I transform myself into a 72 world. foot tall robot. <laughs> Absolutely. A decentralized Noel, Genesis. De 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 DeFi, decentralized new world. El Salvador. Absolutely. Thank you. It's coming. Noel, appreciate great it. You have you, a great Brian. day and a good week. Thank you. Thanks. You too. All right. On deck, when the algos speak, investors should listen. John Najarian will join us with three stocks he says are worth watching right now. Speaking of listening, if you haven't already, follow our podcast, Worldwide Exchange, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. We're back right after. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The investors gearing up to kick off the post-holiday weekend. Trading sessions certainly... Things, well, maybe this week might not be so hot. we got the holiday and we have Rosh Hashanah today. But your next guest is a guy that knows from which he speaks. He's got three stocks that he says have been getting a lot of attention as of late. He is John Najarian, the co-founder of Market Rebellion and a CNBC contributor as well. John, before we get to those individual names, this week, and I want people to watch. I want them to be tuned in to CNBC all day. But this week, is it a write-off or do you expect any action given Labor Day, Rosh Hashanah today? What's your sort of macro view the next few days? Yeah, I, I think, Brian, uh, that, you know, post-jobs report, 
we're going to see uh, more speculative uh, buying uh, because they pushed off uh, into the future the time that the Fed will actually move. I don't think they're going to move at the September 22nd meeting, Brian. And so those that were sort of thinking that they might will probably be, you know, jiggering positions and so forth. But overall, I think it'll be a slightly bullish tone after we get through, you know, the dullness of the first couple days, as you said, Rosh Hashanah, sell Rosh Hashanah, buy Yom Kippur. We'll have to see if that plays out. I don't think so this year. Yeah, but overall, we got a long month of September and the historic numbers, while tend to be negative, as Tom Lee has pointed out, when we have this kind of momentum, they actually tend to be positive. All right. Speaking of momentum, let's dive into a few names here. Mm hmm. Bath and Body Works. We all know their stores, okay? They're one of the hottest yep. equities in the United States. Bath and Body Works, I think, is the second best performing S&P 500 stock this year. You're also seeing some underlying options activity. Yeah, and this one, of course, uh, used to be known as L Brands, spun out and has doubled on the year. I mean, so that kind of performance, that's eye-catching. And... Uh, Friday, a day when we normally, all three of these stocks, Brian, uh, saw very unusual activity on Friday into a holiday weekend. I like to pay attention to that. So November, 65 calls. The stock was trading right at about that level, 64.75. They're buying the Nov 65 calls. So they're buying something that's October, November, you know, two full months out into the future and then a few spare days in there. That's a, the kind of trade we like to follow. They bought about 8,000 of these. That's 800,000 share equivalent. So Bath & Body Works looks like somebody's playing for earnings as well because these options will capture the next earnings report. Okay, the next one is a small cap stock. It's only about $610 million market cap, but it is above $500 million company trying to change auto insurance by paying, you basically pay for how far you drive, not a flat fee, Metro Mile, ticker, ticker is mile. What do you see on the option side, John? Well, this one's a big speculative buy, Brian. Uh, the numbers are big. 22,000 options means 2.2 million share equivalent. And the stock was under uh, $5. It was trading in the fours, like 460 or so. Then they stepped up and bought 22,000 of those 750 calls. So that's a big jump um, between now and October because these are October expiration options. So, of course, when we see something that big, that far out of the money, Brian, I want to ride along with them. I bought the fives, though. I didn't buy the seven and a half calls because I'd rather be something closer to the money yep. when I'm uh, participating in these trades. Okay, other one we don't have time to get to today. I'll just mention it. Faraday Future, okay. the electric car company. But John and Jerry, and great stuff there on Metro Mile, Bath and Body Works. John, a pleasure to have you on. Have a great day, my friend. You too, Brian. Thank you. All right, John and Jerry to Market Rebellion. Thank you. All right, well, that, that goes by quick, doesn't it? That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange to kick off your trading week. Futures basically flat. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.